0: Hello again everybody. This is uh, Jason Powers So today's going to be a, a short story I just wrote. Uh it's well, it's it's my life. <laughs> so it'll seem like a short story, but it's it's true to form. I mean, I'll call it memoir like. It's pretty close to everything. I mean, there's very little detail. Anyway, let me get started on it and you'll you'll understand where I'm going with this. So uh, gross Anatomy of a Life, Dateline, 1987-1988 Rarely does one year encapsulate a person's entire life. The twists and turns of existence are normally not quite that linked, but bear with me on this walk down memory lane. I just turned 15 at the start of the 1987 school year. Getting through my sophomore year was not school hard. But this time frame saw conflicts arise that I did not have good responses for, as I was just a befuddled teenager. One was a bully. The next one, a girl I pined for, but reality kept showing I was neither suave enough or assured enough to turn a two-plus-year teenage obsession into a date at a pizza hut, and of course, a movie ending like eight days a week. The other realities were more personal, more disappointing, But at that time, one did not want to focus on the choices one should have made. The bully was an up-and-coming wrestler who was in my English class. was what caused the escalation from smart-ass words to us meeting at D.C.'s Country Junction for a teenage middleweight title bout in front of 30 zit-faced parachute pants-wearing Cure and depression-mode listeners is not abundantly clear, but I got my shit handed to me. I was now owing 2 in my bouts since moving to Indiana in 1983 when the police dominated the charts and didn't care about teenagers fighting as long as they obsessively played their songs. The next bout was much more painful as actual tears flowed after the final bruises were applied to my heart. Julie was the cheerleader. I had fought, fell for just an hour into eighth grade advanced English class. It was the first time I had ever seen her, as we were in the same middle, even as we were this, in the same middle school for already two years. This quirk was due to having two sections per grade: school 61, 62, 71, 72, 81, and 82. I had been in 61, 71, and then landed in school 82. The locker bays were separated by school as well. <clears throat> we had several classes together and our names were conveniently close together, both JPs. So, from that point on, it was assured we'd become like the next karate kid couple. I would fight, haha, uh-huh, for her honor. I'd be the hero you're dreaming of. We'd live forever going together. The glory of love. Yes. Mid-1980s John Hughes films gave delusions that short hillbillies from Tennessee would land the smart, snarky cheerleader that sat next to me in English. But, of course, my guts at first were frozen. Instead of charming her, I intentionally annoyed her. Of course, for a period of months I teased her, even as she said, Oh, you love me and you know it. I did, actually. But 13-year-olds' eyes and hearts are fickly operated by their hormones. I finally did uh, I did tell her I liked her via the mighty really like you letter in the locker trick. From that point forward awkward as as from that point forward awkward was a good day. Others knew now. And for the next 2 years when I wasn't asking about her or discussing her various equal or discussing her with variously insecure equally insecure teenage buddies that got somewhere on the baseball field with their love lives my tongue and my further like you leathers were hardly memorable to her i suppose <clears throat> i finally lost this battle after the closest i ever got to being on a date with her it was a drizzly uh, it, it was drizzling all night at a friday varsity football game i normally didn't go to these games but as Julie was a JV cheerleader, it occurred to me that it might be worth the time since there was an after-game, impromptu fall dance. After the high school band played La Bamba at halftime, with the rain and wind continuing on, the JV cheerleading squad took a seat for the night. It was getting slightly colder with the cutting wind to boot as my courage or stupidity finally pushed me all in on the attempts to tame the shrew. She wasn't a shrew. I offered her my jacket. She resisted. So then, I just tried to have a conversation with her while her cheer buddies chuckled and teased with their eyes a glitter with the mischievous looks of, of those knowledgeable on how damn awkward it is to make a move in high school on anyone in the socially superior class, that of jocks and cheerleaders. Nevertheless, I guess she began to feel sorry for me or listened during the remainder of the game to how others talked and felt otherwise for this one night i took the barbs well for the, uh, from the cheerleaders and the jocks alike nothing too bad don't get me wrong still julie was more bothered by them than i was she relented on the jacket and went and i went to get get us some hot chocolate Sometime in the fourth quarter as the varsity squad was getting their usual ass beating. She asked me if I was going to play baseball that spring. Of course I was. She wasn't quite warm to me, but we got through the game. Thereafter, she actually stayed for the dance. As cheerleaders normally bring a small wardrobe and makeup studio with them everywhere, she was no different. Me, I went to the restroom, tried to dry out. Looked to clean my teeth by buying some gum, and then comb my hair. Though at that point in life, I had so much hair, one could have filled several area coats with, spot, with spotty coverage. The dance had all the 1980s feel. Lights lower than usual, a gym floor, multi-purpose room with the bleachers on one side, six basketball rims on cables, two turntables, multiple cassette decks, a CD player stack manned by a $50 per hour DJ. Surprisingly, there was about 150 to 200 students at the dance. Our school had about 900 total, so good attendance. Julie came out with her hair up in a ponytail, which was unusual for her in being the 19th big 1980s or the big 80s. <clears throat> we didn't talk much, but I did dance with the group of gals cheerleader ratio above 50% that she hung out with regularly. During the slow songs like Don't Dream It's Over or Never Gonna Dance Again by George Michael of Wham! She would sit down. She wasn't going steady with anyone. That was the only reason I was even, even got this far. She didn't get my jacket back right away after the game, so she had it on the bleachers next to her bag full of now wet cheerleader stuff. I made my way over to her during the next slow song, but not immediately. I asked her if she felt better since we got inside. She had a sniffle or two outside in the dampness of that late October, northern Indiana night. She smiled rather shyly. Yes, I'm glad that game didn't drag on like the bears always do now. Yeah, totally, I responded as the next song dropped. I sat with her for the next couple of songs. No one came near us. We didn't talk, but, at least for me, we shared the moment in the music, and while I wished I remembered what the DJ played, I don't. The rest of the dance moved along fast. I told her to have a good night as she gave me my coat back, and she said, Thank you, Jason. I'll see you on Monday. Her cheer buddies were quiet for once as they stood off to the side. As it turns out, the next week she started going steady with her future husband, who I didn't like, jealousy, and he was six a uh, six-foot-two-inch basketball player and cocky as hell. As for this one time in high school, we both survived a damp night, a dimly lit dance floor, and the social divide that most have experienced but rarely end in the glory of love. 1988 My father went to prison in February of 1988. He landed at Fort Leavenworth for nine and a half years, though I had no way of knowing this immediately because it had been four years since my last conversation with him. The last positive and non-threatening contact was in the form of a telescope around my 12th birthday. I used it a couple times on a quest to see the rings of Saturn, but later, it was a good coat stand placed in the corner of my bedroom, the only bedroom in the apartment my mom rented it for $160 per month in 1984. Her bed was in the living room. Several months passed before I was given this news by my mom. She told me in late spring right before a baseball, uh, before a Babe Ruth baseball game. At the time, I couldn't process the crime, which it is heinous. Instead, I just took my anger out on the field. If there is one place that anger, when controlled, works, it is in sports. As it turns out, I was scheduled to pitch against the best team in the league. Their squad had talent. Several of their younger players went to the regional high school final games in 1992. Overall, they didn't have any bad players on the field that day. Several played in D1 and D2 college programs. But that day, I found enough anger to channel. I pitched a 7-inning complete game, struck out 15, walked 1, fielded a couple grounders, and they got one ball out of the infield. Still, we only won 3-2. to two. The luck came when my shortstop and best friend at the time, Brad, hit a 2-run homer as I scored ahead of it late in the game. The raw stats are, me- are memorable as I had hit double-digit uh, double Ks only a few other times, but that was the pinnacle of my pitching career. That summer, I attended Purdue for three weeks for a basic programming class, staying at McCutcheon Hall. My mom got lucky on getting this done, as it was subsidized by your taxpayer dollars. It was a summer camp for no-stress str- uh, no education and peak socializing. At 6:30 A.M. for three weeks straight, I woke up to "Supersonic" by Salt and Pepper. The residential counselor on the floor below kicked that tune out every day and loud. My first ever roommate in life was Alfredo Portales from Texas. He was a fan of Terence Trent D'Arby, and so "Wishing Well" and "Sign Your Name" were on heavy rotation during that fun time. We both did the basic class but I do not recall anything about that being important. Instead, the most consequential thing for both of us during that pre-college-bound summer school was girls. There was just enough of them in the dorm on the other side doing what we were doing, roughly 70 guys and 30 gals, and so we hung out and ate together as many were from out of state like Alfredo. It was a great introduction to the world most desired when high school has nothing much left to offer. Aside from their intelligence, most were familiar with college through their parents' own bona fides. From my point of view, they had class and stories. Such was the awe I held for a few of them well met, whether it was earned or not. I competed in baseball as well. The 15-year-old Babe Ruth State All-Stars were running at the same time. My mom drove down on Friday night and transported me back to Hobart, Indiana. Even though I had beaten the best team just a few weeks prior, I didn't get any starting pitching duties. Center field instead. When I did get to relieve in a rapidly deteriorating game, one had the gas, but the control was off that day. Later, I was approached after the game by a guy carrying a radar gun. And he had the look of a scout, if there is such a look. "'Hey, kid,' he matter-of-factly stated. "'You were throwing pretty hard today.' I said, "'Too bad I couldn't find the zone. I was unpleased as we had just lost the tournament.' "'Well, you weren't really that far off. That umpire sucked. You had 84 on those last three fastballs. Uh, That's nothing.' not understanding much about speed or scouting at the time. No, that's pretty good for a short lefty at 15. Just need time and work, he shrugged and surmised. Well, I'll work on it, and with that, that is the only time I ever talked to a scout. My final adventure of this year in life started with a bunch of high school jocks that let let me drive them out to the countryside to write mean slurs on the pavement outside another jock's house. Future teammate and first baseman on our five and nineteen nineteen ninety varsity baseball team, Goose was his nickname. For whatever reason, he was selected for this by the fellas. Two, two were his his teammates on the basketball team: Mike, Kevin, who dated Julie at one time, Chris, the wrestler, and Brad, who was the running uh, running back stud in the football in football as well. <clears throat> The words were stupid and childish and racist, and I was the getaway driver. My first introduction to the prisoner dilemma then occurred. I didn't snitch, but the other four squealed pretty quickly. This was a this was later compounded by my disrespect for the dean of students. I told him to fuck off. They obtained me a three-day out-of-school suspension, from that vacation and loss of class credit. I went to the movie Gross Anatomy. My mom didn't mind openly. Like Joe Slovak, Matthew Modine, I didn't work hard on my studies. Joe was a natural talent that glided through his med school entrance exams. But like Joe, was to learn others struggle with addictions, terminal disease, relationships, ego. Even if they are talented enough to be in the halls of the highest learning, this movie was the right one for me at that particular moment in life. I didn't care for the authority figures. one can puzzle out why that was. I didn't know if I, w- I didn't know if I wanted to be an engineer, but it sounded cool, and my mom liked it. So I started that upon entry into Purdue. I didn't know what was going to happen next. But I figured I had enough answer or could figure it out through my talents. At 15, life is a roller coaster of hormones, uncontrollable events, missed opportunities, and the poor decision-making one must figure out sooner, if possible, later, absolutely. But no one completely does so. So if reviewing someone else's dumbassery can be funny, stirring, saddening even, but hopefully is not too far off what others came through in their own wonder years. The gross anatomy of a life, unreviewed, is this set of events will happen again and again until one fleshes out the best ways to act and more judiciously react. Thank you for your time.